The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. From the field to the film room to the war room, the road to the draft sadly comes to a conclusion today. On the BGN Draft Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the BGN Draft Show. This is our draft recap. Uh, I have already been on the feed on the EPA podcast reacting to the Eagles draft, but I felt like we would be remiss as a BGN Draft Show that spent all offseason going through position by position, arguing about these guys. Uh, one of our my guys, by the way, Dibes, got selected by the Eagles, and we'll talk about that. But. Um, <laughs> I felt like we had to hop back on this feed and let you guys react to the Eagles draft, break it down. Uh, We we spent a lot of time breaking down these prospects. That's what we're going to do today. I'm going to play a little more of a host role than normal, uh, asking questions, setting you guys up here. So I'm joined, as always, by Dives. My guy is Tanner McKee. Uh, (laughs) Follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Crockpot. Dives, how are you doing this evening? I see where this podcast is going. You're you're putting me (laughs) in the corner, Shane. I kind of like it. Uh, let's do it. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, man, what a, what a home run weekend for the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to get into it. All right. And also joined, as always, by my co-host on Chalk Talk. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. Mark, how are you feeling this afternoon? I'm doing well. They got one of your almost guys. They, they got one of your guys that was just left off, Keely Ringo. Almost was a Shane's guy. Uh, I think I probably ruined it by being a bit too high on him uh, for Shane to be for him to be a full on Shane guy there. But uh, yeah, absolute home run, not just in the draft, but there was a trade that happened during the draft that we're going to talk about as well a little bit that kind of ties into the haul that the Eagles brought in. I mean, yeah, Howie's going to Howie. All right, so let's dive into it. We're going to walk through the Eagles draft, talk about the prospects, the fits, uh, and then briefly at the end, we're going to talk about the other three division teams and sort of what they did, give our brief reactions to that. Uh, Mark and I, and I think Dives is going to join us. We'll have a longer podcast breaking down all the NFC drafts on Chalk Talks feed later this week. So if you guys are interested in teams outside the NFC East, we're going to do that tonight, AFC teams next week. And you guys can check that out. But here we're going to keep it pretty Eagles and NFC East centric. And let's start off at the top of the draft. Obviously, Jalen Carter was linked to the Eagles a lot. Uh, questions of where he would go in the draft. Would he make it past the Seahawks at five, the Lions at six? And 
would the Eagles trade up for him? And they did. Uh, not maybe as far as people would have thought, only giving up a future fourth round pick to move up one spot with the Chicago Bears and select Jalen Carter. Mark, I'm going to throw it to you first. What was your initial reaction to the Jalen Carter trade up and how are you feeling about it a few days removed? You guys saw it. We were streaming the draft together and I was, you know, we were all absolutely pumped uh, about the move that the Eagles made, giving up very little to, to move up one pick to get the guy that we wanted all along. I mean, there was a couple guys that we all wanted, but he was uh, in the top four for all of us from an Eagles big board perspective. And for you guys, I think he was either one or two, um, but he was three or four for me. And uh, he's an absolute home run in terms of the on the field product that Jalen Carter is. Um, it, it's, it's shocking that he fell to where he fell. It's shocking that a team let us uh, move up above them to take him, especially a team that was last in sacks last year. I uh, was able decided to move off of that pick just for a fourth round pick. I, I don't know why these GMs continue to accept Howie Roseman's phone call. Just block it guys. Like that you don't have to pick up the phone. Um, I will say that this is funny. I, I reached out to you guys uh, on, on our group chat back a couple months ago because uh, Sean Brace, my boss at the radio station had a scoop because he met Brian Brzee and Brian Brzee told him that Jalen Carter was in town with Brian Brzee together at the Eagles facility for a pre-draft workout. And Sean Brace gave that information. Uh, he asked if I'd want to report it, but he gave it to Victor Williams and Victor Williams reported it. And then that was how we found out Jalen Carter was here. And I remember messaging with you guys that night. I was like, man, if they could get Jalen Carter, like, <laughs> can you imagine? Like, and we all kind of were like, oh, they're just doing their due diligence. I'm sure like they're making sure maybe they'd move up to get him. And eventually they did move up that one pick to get him. Uh, but you didn't move up, obviously, the way that we were talking about the rumors of the day of the draft that we were going to move up to number three. And then we were going to move up to number four or five. And everyone thought that was for Jalen Carter or maybe Will Anderson. Turned out all we needed to give up was a fourth-round pick in a draft that we have how many extra picks next year, Shane, so and Dobbs? So many. Yeah, I think they're lot. at 11 or 12. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Dives, I should have thrown it to you first because Jalen Carter was the number one guy on your board. He was two for me. He was five for Mark. Uh, so. Disrespectful. Yeah, Mark was being disrespectful. That's going to be a theme as we go through the Eagles picks here, but – uh, dives Jalen Carter what's his fit with the Eagles you know how big of an impact is he going to make in year one never wavered guys never wavered how many times did we have these podcasts where you're like eh, should he be still your number one prospect he was he I, I never wavered from him and I think you know I, I expect him to be an instant contributor for the Eagles defense I, I think he has the quickness uh the technical prowess uh to really be that penetrating interior defensive linemen and even fronts I think he's gonna really take advantage of that space eaten up by Jordan Davis uh he's I expect him to really uh you know from the jump be an instant impact guy and you look at his upper body strength you look at his anchor you look at his awareness awareness uh he can be a two-gap uh lineman he has the versatility and disruptiveness to be kind of that elite chess piece for this Eagles defense moving forward. Uh, I'm going to say that a lot chess piece, because there's a lot of defensive players that I think have elite versatility 
and uh, Jalen Carter is on the top of that list. When you look at when you look at you know a healthy rotation of a Jordan Davis, a Milton Williams, a Jalen Carter, a Fletcher Cox, man, that whole interior defensive line is going to be fresh. They're going to be ready to go. I expect Carter to see somewhere around like 35 to 40 percent of defensive snaps in year one, potentially defensive rookie of the year. Why? He's got a lightning quick first step, super strong hands, 47 quarterback pressures and six sacks the last two years. Uh, this, this guy is the blue chip prospect right alongside Will Anderson in this draft. And when you look at it, like, like even before this draft, as we said on this podcast, who are the guys that could get early snaps from the jump? It was Bijan and it was Jalen Carter. The Eagles nailed it with this selection. All right. Yeah. A lot of praise for the Eagles to get Jalen Carter at pick nine, but they weren't done at Nolan Smith at pick 30, a guy that was linked to the Eagles at 10 off and on. Uh, he was number 16 on my board and Dibes board. He was number 29 on Mark's board. So Dibes, I'm going to kick it to you first here. Uh, you were a little higher on Smith than Mark was. How stoked were you for him to fall to 30? And how do you think he fits in with the Eagles plans this season? Yeah, if you were watching us during our watch party, I predicted him to go to 10. Not necessarily at 10, maybe a slight trade back. Uh, but I thought all the signs were there for the Eagles and Nolan Smith. It made a billion cents uh, for the Eagles to bring this guy in. Uh, he's an athlete. Uh, he's not more so production. He's more so projection. Uh, he's got really intriguing numbers. Uh, personally, the run defense numbers in college, I, I think they're a little fake. And I might get some heat about that. Uh, I think everyone who's acting like Nolan Smith's uh, weight is not a concern, at least from the jump uh, in the NFL, is kidding themselves. I think this guy is a small. I think he's light. Um, I think he's going to struggle against powerful offensive linemen uh, at the next level. Uh, I don't think that means he's going to be a bad player by any means. I think he's going to lose reps. That's okay. I expect Smith to be an impact player from the jump uh, in different situations, mostly because of his versatility and his continuing development as a pass rusher. I, I hope, you know, this Eagles new defensive coordinator kind of puts him in situations to succeed. I think overall, Nolan Smith is in a great situation because uh, he's going to be along an Eagles defensive line where he's never going to get chipped. He's never going to get doubled in his first year or two uh, just because of how how many studs are on this line. Uh, I think you're going to see him mostly as an edge defender in five-man fronts, uh, kind of that movable off-ball linebacker in four-man fronts. Um, I, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm interested to see how he does in coverage too because uh, he's got some talent there as well. Uh, so overall, I really want to see the Eagles get super creative with Nolan Smith on the football field. And with that athletic profile, he's got a real chance to succeed. All right. Yeah. I, I think you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see Nolan Smith with his hand in the dirt a lot. I think you're going to see him as a stand up edge rusher. I'm really interested to see like the three, three, five fronts that the Eagles would run, but with Hassan Reddick and Nolan Smith as two of the linebackers up on the line. So essentially making it like a five, one front where you can drop both guys, you could rush both guys uh, I think there could be a lot of creative things that you can do out of that package. So I'll be interested to see what his usage is like. Now, Mark, you were a little lower on Nolan Smith 
uh, especially with concerns about his his development as a pass rusher uh, specifically and his weight as well. Uh, Talk a little bit about your concerns with Smith and ultimately how you felt about taking him at 30. Well, I'm higher on him than the rest of the NFL is because I had him 29 and he went 30. Um, so my all of my Nolan Smith negativity was mainly based out of a, a, a stance where we were picking at 10. And he was never a top 10 pick in this draft. And I know that he became a, a buzzy top 10, top 15 pick. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of talk about Nolan Smith falling to the Eagles. Miles Murphy went two picks before him. Like, I don't think Nolan Smith fell. I think he went right around the correct spot because if he hits, he's going to be a very good pass rusher. The reason you're taking him is because he's basically DeAndre Hopkins lined up as a defensive end, like a more athletic DeAndre Hopkins lined up as a defensive end. He's a project. Like, this is a guy who you're taking him for the the, the chance that his athleticism is so next level and his traits carry him to a spot where his speed is so elite around the edge that this guy becomes a 10 plus sack guy and, and dives put it in a great way. He's going to look as good as he possibly can on this Eagles defense with the talent that's around him. So he absolutely landed in the best spot. He might not have went 10. He might not have went. I know people were talking about, I think, the Patriots at 14, the Green Bay. People were talking about him at 13, the Jets at 15. He might not have went in that top 15, but I think it ended up best case for him to go at 30 next to Jalen Carter, next to Jordan Davis, next to Fletcher Cox, um, on the other side of Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, whoever he is on the other side of. Um, He's going to look as good as he can possibly look, and I completely understand the home run swing. Uh, my, you know, my concerns with it, and I, it's not like I didn't like the pick. I think he was number six or seven best available for me at, at the time they picked it. So at 30, that's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty good value when you're getting a guy that I have ranked in my top 29. Um, but the reason that I'm not as high on it is because it is a little bit of a Super Bowl window. And I don't think this guy's filling much more than the Robert Quinn role from last year. I think we're going to talk about a guy who's in between 15 to 25%. Um, I think it's an extreme projection to expect him to, to defend the run uh, right away. Like, I think this guy's a situational pass rusher right now. And if you are talking yourself in on Nolan Smith, and if you love Nolan Smith, I think that should be because you look at him and you see the elite upside as a pass rusher. I don't think it should be for any other reason than that. I think that's what he got picked for. Um, And for that reason, I'm fine with the home run swing. All right. So that takes us to the end of day one. And everybody's feeling great about the Eagles day one. You head into day two and they've got picks at 62 and 66. And so uh, obviously they trade back from 62 to 65 and picked up a couple of late picks, which we expected a trade back at some point. Uh, I never expected the Eagles to make those selections at 65 and 66 back to back, but they did Uh, taking offensive tackle, Tyler Steen from Alabama at 65 and then safety, Sidney Brown from Illinois at 66. So Tyler Steen is not a guy that we talked about on our previews uh, leading up to the draft. He wasn't in our top 10 linemen when we did those Uh, overall on our big boards. He was number 98 for Mark, so just cracked the top 100. He was 160 for Dives, 112 for me. Uh, So, Mark, you were the highest on Steen out of all of us. Uh, I'll throw it to you here first. Uh, How did you feel about that pick? 
Uh, should we just never doubt Jeff Stoutland on day two? Is it just irrelevant at this point? You should definitely not doubt Jeff Stoutland uh, on day two. And I think this guy is a guy they view as someone that has right away playability as a backup at versatile positions. He played for a long time at the best program in college sports at Alabama uh, at, on the offensive line. One, one that's, clarification. That's, he actually only played the one year at Alabama. He transferred in from Vanderbilt. Yeah. That was I, all, yeah. That, that was all that, garbled yeah, yeah. up on his note stuff when it first came out. But so he was originally at Vanderbilt and then he played his senior year at Alabama. But other I, than that, go ahead. I have my notes kind of messed up here too. He did it in the SEC is what I have here. I, I But then once I saw Alabama, I extrapolated. But um, he did because, you know, I didn't think he's transferred from one SEC school to another. I kind of forgot that Vanderbilt, they barely count as an SEC school. But they're playing against SEC schools. So he's blocking SEC talent, even if they, even if he's blocking for crappy players. Um, but I, I think Tyler Steen having that ability to play with in Nick Saban's offense to play for Alabama, Stoutland's familiarity with Alabama. Um, I, I highly doubt that Stoutland's not in, in, very much involved with the selection of Tyler Steen with his ties to Alabama and his ties to Nick Saban. Um, so and how he put Stoutland right on the phone um, when they when they drafted Tyler Steen. And a lot of people think that he's going to be a guard at the next level. And that's fine. I think it's interesting that he played tackle at Alabama and that we think he's going to be a guard. I know that he's got short arms, but maybe that means he's got some versatility as a backup, which is one of the best things that you can have as a backup. So um, I, I've kind of talked myself all the way in on this pick. All right. Ty, uh, water gun to your head. Tyler Steen or Cam Jurgens, who's the starting right guard week one? Oh, Jurgens, I think. I mean, I imagine that the year jump in Stoutland University would have to help uh, Cam Jurgens. And I, I think we talked about this. I don't know if it was on Chalk Talk or if it was on one of the draft shows. I'm not sure. But um, I, I think we've talked about the fact that I think the people out there that didn't think Cam Jurgens was going to start at guard for the Eagles were crazy. Like, did we really think that we were just burning a second round pick alive last year? Like I, Tyler Steen, I think is a future pick and a backup pick for right now at multiple positions, but I'd be shocked if Cam, and I think it's concerning if Cam Jurgens is not the starter. All right. Uh, dives, anything you want to add to that on uh, Tyler Steen before we move on to Sydney Brown? Uh, yeah, it's definitely the answer is Cam Jurgens, but you know this this is a guy that you know kind of went under the radar in my in my draft uh, content. Uh, it, that's not a knock on Tyler Steen; uh, it just happens. I covered probably like over two hundred prospects throughout this process, and Tyler Steen just wasn't one of them. Uh, but I think this guy, when I when I kind of watched a lot of tape uh, after the draft uh, <laughs> during that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like this guy has great anchor, really good strength, really quick feet. He tested well at the combine, uh, 79th percentile in the short shuttle, 81st percentile in the broad jump, 67th percentile vertical jump. Uh, he does have short arms, 9th percentile. Uh, but, you know, Jeff Stoutland has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to identifying and developing offensive linemen. That's what this is. You look at Eagles offensive linemen, other than J Jason Kelsey, uh, they're all homegrown under Stoutland University, but Jason Kelsey has worked with Stoutland for over a decade, I think. So um, it, it's interesting. Each time you look at uh, the Eagles getting an offensive lineman, you think, you know, how Howie just thinks a year or two ahead uh, that when they took when they took Landon Dickerson, 
You look at Brandon Brooks and his last year in 2021. You look at Cam Jurgens uh, potentially replacing Jason Kelsey. Uh, here is potentially the same scenario. So um, I think, you know, Tyler Steen probably replaces Cam Jurgens in a couple years. So um, you now have more depth on the Eagles offensive line. That is never a bad thing. We can't expect the Eagles to be as healthy as they were in 2022. Um, there's there's definitely uh, a universe where Tyler Steen upsets Cam Jurgens, though. I don't think that's too crazy given his size and pedigree uh, and history at, you know, Alabama and playing at the highest level of competition. That's definitely on the table. So uh, I think I was like a B on draft night. I give it a B plus after draft night. I I'm good with this selection. All right. Yeah, This he's somebody that I overlooked as well. But as soon as the Eagles picked him, I was like, well, he's probably good because I just trust Jeff Stoutland and uh, went to go, you know, I watched some of Brandon Thorne's stuff and watched a couple of games and I'm all on board now as well. So uh, then the Eagles made the very next pick at pick 66 and they took Sidney Brown safety out of Illinois, who I had 45th on my board. Dives, you had him 48th. Mark had him at 59. So Dives, I'll throw to you first here. Uh, tell me about Sidney Brown and chess piece, I think is the word you used earlier. I assume we're about to hear that again. Yeah, uh, just as Jalen Carter was a chess piece uh, for the new Eagles defense, so is Sidney Brown. Uh, this is arguably the most versatile safety prospect in the draft. Uh, he's the Eagles' highest drafted safety by the Eagles in, what, 10-plus years? Uh, you got to think that's for a reason. You know, negotiations fell through with C.J. Gardner-Johnson this offseason. They brought in Terrell Edmonds, um, but that doesn't mean, like, they're nearly set at all at that position. Uh, Sidney Brown is a guy who's physical at the stem, uh, has extraordinary balance, great short area quickness. Uh, at Illinois, which had a terrific secondary, uh, he was the leader of that defense. Uh, you look at Devin Witherspoon. It wasn't Witherspoon who was calling the plays for that defense. It was Sidney freaking Brown. This is a guy who can play at multiple levels, can play within multiple schemes. He can do a little bit of everything really, really well. Again, his positional versatility is awesome. Uh, over the last two seasons, he's played primarily as a box safety, uh, but he can match up with tight ends. He can play in the slot. He can play deep safety. Um, you you look at Brian Branch as like safety one. That guy was uh, primarily a slot guy. I think Sidney Brown is a real safety that could really uh, be a heat seeker on this Eagles defense. But more importantly than not, like, I think he's going to be an elite special teams player from the jump. Uh, I think that's going to be his bread and butter in 2023. I don't know if he's going to start. Uh, there's a lot to kind of weigh in and see. I probably was having a few too many Tito's on our watch party say he's starting. Uh, pump the brakes just a tad. Uh, but I, I, when you talk about chess pieces, uh, this is one of them. I, I think, A, he's going to be a core special teams player from the jump. And B, uh, definite real starting potential for the Eagles moving forward. All right. Uh, Mark, do you agree with that assessment? Uh, is, is Sidney Brown going to get on the field much this year? Do you think he's a special teamer? What, what do you see his role being in 2023? It's just hard to know with, with what the side. We, we don't have much history with the side to know what he wants uh, to do there. And there's another player that they drafted that could 
play a role here. I, I think Shane thinks could play a role here in this discussion. I, I will get to that in a minute. So um, I, I think that this pick kind of combos with another pick to have a larger conversation about the secondary, but I love the pick. I love the swing at a safety and I, I love the other pick that, that we're going to talk about in the secondary as well. Mark Ross from the NFL network compared uh, Sidney Brown to Brian Dawkins. So he did the media tour on all the radio stations. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't necessarily see that comp, but uh, I did think I that was that. funny. Um, Ray Dinger, well, it was one of Ray Dinger's five my guys in the draft. So I, I thought that that was relevant to throw out there as well. So Sidney Brown, um, I, I'm definitely in on the pick. I wasn't quite as high on him as you guys were in the rankings, but I had him 59. I still had him higher than we picked him. And he was probably in terms of the positions we needed one of the higher players I had ranked available. And if you follow me on Twitter and if you like uh, have just followed any of my content, I have been raving about Sidney Brown for months. And I think one of the highlights of the draft party when I was, was when I learned that Shane was higher on Sidney Brown than I was. And I freaked out. I was like, no, that's impossible. And, uh, it thus became one of Shane's my guys, and I was really devastated. Yeah, I was like that with Julius Brents with Mark. I feel like I was <laughs> raving about Julius Brents for months, and then when we put our final big board together, Mark had him higher than me, and I just felt cheated. So I'm sorry <laughs> that I did that to you, Dives, but I you shouldn't it. have disrespected Sidney Brown. So now let's go to the fourth round. The Eagles didn't have a pick until the sixth round, but they made the trade up into the fourth round. Uh, to get a guy that I think it's safe to say we all thought was a great value. And Keely Ringo, cornerback out of Georgia. I had him at 24. Mark had him at 33. Dibes had him at 38. So by far the best value pick according or relative to our big board. Actually, that's not true. Uh, the next guy technically would be the best value relative to our big boards. But we'll get into him in a minute. Uh, Keely Ringo, though. Uh, Mark, I'll let you lead us off. You were a little higher on Ringo. Uh, when the Eagles traded up, like he was sitting there going into day three and I was like, just trade up and go get him for the memes. Like, I mean, I think yeah. he's a great player, but let's just go ahead and rebuild that whole Georgia defense. And then when they moved up, I was like, no way it's about to be for Keely Ringo, but it was. So uh, your thoughts when the Eagles called Keely Ringo's name? I mean, it, the memes are incredible. Howie, uh, could he called Nolan Smith on the first day and he said, it's killing me as a Florida Gator to pick all these Georgia Bulldogs. And said, Nolan Smith said, you want to win? And he said, I'm addicted to confetti. Georgia's seen confetti the last two years. And who was the quarterback of that secondary of the back-to-back -back national champions? Keely Ringo. Um, Keely Ringo was absolutely supposed to be like a top 10 pick before this season. Had some trouble with double moves. Had some trouble getting beat a deep. Oh, you just got muted, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. get. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we got you. Keely Ringo's got trouble with double moves. Mark's got <laughs> trouble with his mic cable. You know, it's, it's not, no big deal. No big deal. You, you've got safeties over the top here that got your back. Yeah, exactly. That this is an aside comment, but I've been doing these streams for Sixers games with Trillbro Dude, and every time that a big three gets hit or something, and I freak out, and the mic gets unplugged, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just not talking for. I'm talking to myself for thirty seconds. Like, uh, I need to get. I need to do. A, I need to do a better job with mic management. Um, but Howie's doing a good job with draft management. What a segue. That's why I, they they taught me that in radio school. But Howie moving up for the memes to go and get Keely Ringo. Um, after all day 
on Friday night and all morning on Saturday, we're all saying, Oh my God, can they get Killy Ringo? Oh my God. Like, are they going to get another Georgia player and a guy who fell way too far in the draft? Like it would, it's just poetic that they were able to move up and put them all on the same defense. And I think in this defense that we run, or at least ran last year, we're not asking corners to be up on the line. We're not putting corners in a lot of chances to get beat deep on double moves. So as long as you have over the top help for Ringo, or as long as he's going to be playing off the line enough, he should be a good outside cornerback, in my opinion. I'm a bit more bullish on his ability to actually play corner, but if he struggles with that, I know that there's people like Todd McShay or the true draft guru over there, Shane Half, that think Keely Ringo's more of a safety, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that there's some safety potential in Keely Ringo. He struggles to play with his back to the ball. He struggles to get his head around and he struggles through transitions and safeties don't really have to go through those transitions where you're, you know, going from that back pedal to turning and running that that's not something you ask safeties to do. Now it's problematic if a safety gets beat by a double move. And so there's some things there, but yeah, I definitely think there's some potential for Ringo as a safety, you know, if corner doesn't work out or if corner does work out, but the Eagles are just stacked there. I think that you could see him being used some, probably not in 2023 as a safety, but something that you could put away, you know, file away for later. That's something that they could try to cross. The Eagles love safeties with cornerback experience. And that is Ringo. He hasn't played safety, but I think there's potential he could do that. And we've seen injuries in the past. Like it it would be helpful if he's able to shift over there. If Blankenship goes down, Brown goes down and they need a safety, maybe they would throw Ringo in. And we'll see, maybe that's something they even you know, try him out a bit at in training camp and in practice. They really should. All right. And then we get to the sixth round and dives your guy, the guy you stood on the table for on the, my guys podcast. It was Tanner McKee 50th on your big board. He went at 188. You had to be thrilled with this pick, right? Let me, let me just say, I was not the creator of the, my guys list. (laughs) (laughs) The math was, The my guy was thrown onto me on the night of the podcast, and I just ran with it. So the headline, the headline for this segment is that Dibes disagrees with math. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dibes is anti-math. All right, yeah, I, I've I've been on record a thousand times, whether it was with Mark Schofield or on Talk Talk or Party on Broad. Like I, I'm not a fan of this quarterback class, and that includes Tanner McKee. Um, listen. He's a polished passer. He's got really good footwork, really good timing, really good accuracy. Uh, he's got great size, NFL caliber arm. Um, you know, you, you look at this guy, he's got a 27% sack conversion rate in 2022. That is not good, guys. He's got heavy feet. Um, he's kind of an enigma given, like, Jalen Hurts, Marcus Mariota, Tanner McKee. <laughs> he's the exact opposite of what they're trying to do here. Uh, this is the one pick where I really scratched my head. Um, but listen, it really boils down to me being really upset because there's another quarterback in DTR that went like uh, 10 to 20 picks before this. And I thought he would be a pitcher perfect fit with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it really comes down to McKee and his ability to process. Uh, I think that's what stands out the most. Um, and that is probably his bread and butter as a prospect. I think this guy has a knack for making good reads. 
Uh, he can read a defense. He can, you know, get the ball out quickly, uh, accurately, with anticipation. Um, we'll see. Uh, when I think of, like, Tanner McKee offenses, it's not the Eagles. Um, that's just my – I could be totally wrong on that. I think of uh, uh, an offense that's heavy play action, throwback, old school uh, type of offense. Um, but the Eagles offensive line is so good. Maybe he has success there. Uh, that's just my take. This is the only pick on draft uh, on draft weekend that I'll, I I might have went a different direction. All right, Mark uh, dives at him at fifty and would have went another direction. You didn't have him in your top one hundred. Uh, did you Did you just hate this pick? Did you just not care because the first two days were so good? Uh, what are your thoughts on the Tanner McKee selection? Yeah, I don't really care about day three picks when they're not guys I love when they're guys I love I'll brag about it and it's a big deal but if it's not a guy I know it's like yeah it's day three at least I know who Tanner McKee is like it's like they took a guy who most people had QB six I think he stinks um but I I think most of the quarterbacks stink outside of the top four and I I think Hooker even stinks so um I I think that you know if you were going to take any of the quarterbacks I guess him or DTR would have been the guy I would have taken um, but I would have loved to have seen them take Zach Koontz. I mean, I know you're big on that as well, Shane, but I had Zach Koontz 60. Then he went in the seventh round. Um, I do think he's going to make an impact on, on the Jets if they let him. They have signed like a million pass catchers and nothing like Aaron Rodgers demanding his way out of Green Bay because he doesn't have any help and then bringing all the receivers with him to New York. Very interesting move there by Aaron Rodgers. But I would like to see Zach Koontz get some chances in the red zone with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. So that's a different podcast to talk about for the AFC podcast next week. But I would have liked to see Koontz instead of uh, instead of Tanner McKee. And I know that we ended up going and signing a tight end today, Dan Arnold. But yeah, I wish that was Zach Koontz. Yeah, unfortunately, Zach Koontz won't get a chance to make an impact as a rookie because he never played with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. So yeah, yeah, uh, he will be sent off into the wilderness somewhere, a darkness retreat, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for me, my biggest regret for the Eagles in the draft was not coming out with a pass catcher, whether that be a wide receiver three or a tight end two. And so I'm not going to complain too much about a sixth round pick. He was in my top 100. It was at 188. But you know, A.T. Perry was still on the board. Trey Palmer, Andre Yosevas, Zach Koontz. Like, I would have rather seen you take a flyer on one of these pass catchers than than on a statue quarterback that doesn't particularly fit your offense. But I won't quibble with it too much in the sixth round. It's really the only pick of the draft that I, I wasn't a fan of. So, uh, And then the last one, at 249, they took defensive lineman Moro Ojimo, which uh, the BGN radio show has decided his nickname's going to be Mojo. So I like it. We're going to roll with it. Uh, Mojo at 249 uh, wasn't on any of our boards, but have you guys had a chance to look into Ojimo and, and what are your thoughts if so? Uh, Dives, I'll throw on, it to you first here. He was on my personal defensive tackle ranking. He made my top 10. Uh, by the way, Mojo is a name of a sushi joint right across the street from me. It's literally my favorite sushi joint. I, the fact that his nickname is Mojo, I am a thousand percent okay with that. Uh, but uh, he's our NFL-ready run defender. Uh, he can get up and down the line of scrimmage super fast. Uh, he uh, has really good build, uh, low center of gravity at six foot two, uh, but he has long arms, uh, thirty-four plus inches. Uh, he earned the fourth highest run defense grade 
in the country in 2022 among defensive tackles, despite being under 300 freaking pounds. Uh, this is a well-coached dude, a polished dude. Uh, he's got experience playing defensive end. Uh, he's got a quick reaction time. Uh, he can shoot through gra- through gaps. He can create disruption. Uh, he's got good extension with his arms. He can locate the football. He does a really good job of kind of keeping his shoulders squared and uh, going towards the play. Uh, I think Ojomo is a great – is a steal. I can't believe he was still on the board. Negative-wise, uh, he's definitely small uh, for an interior defensive lineman. Uh, he's going – I think mostly he's going to win at the NFL level with his quickness. Um, and I had a rounds three through four grade on Moro Jomo and sorry, Mojo. And I, I like this pick a lot. Uh, I mean, there's conversation about Moro Jomo and uh, a certain Dallas Cowboys first round selection in terms of what they offer in terms of run defense. So don't tell that to Skip Bayless. Uh, but for me, I, I thought this was a great selection. All right, Mark, did you have any thoughts on Ojomo? I saw PFF had him 93. I saw that there were people saying it was the best pick of the draft. Uh, you know, <clears throat> with these day three picks, uh, that's all I need. I need someone. I need to see someone else was high on it. And I'm like, all right, someone sees the vision. <laughs> um, but yeah, people think he's a really, really, really good run defender and probably not a pass rusher at the NFL. Not necessarily my favorite prospect usually, but it's a little different when it's the seventh round. So um, that's I think that changes things. All right, so that is going to wrap up the Eagles portion uh, of the show. We're going to throw to a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and give our brief thoughts on the Cowboys, Giants, and Commanders draft hall. So we'll be right back after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the BGN Draft Show. We've already reacted to the Eagles' killer draft class. Uh, now we're going to briefly touch on each of the other division mates. And so let's start with the New York Giants. Let's save the Cowboys for last because that one's going to be fun. So we'll start off here with the Giants, who uh, in the first round selected defensive back Deontay Banks out of Maryland. In the second round, interior offensive lineman John Michael Schmitz, one of Dibes' guys. In the third round, one of Mark's guys, Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver out of Tennessee. In the fifth round, Eric Gray from Oklahoma, which means he should have been one of my guys. Uh, sixth round, Trey Hawkins, cornerback. Seventh round, Jordan Riley, defensive lineman. And then also in the seventh round, Javarius Owens, 
at defensive back. So, Mark, I'll throw it to you here first. Obviously, you really love their Jalen Hyatt pick, uh, him going all the way down at 73. But you know, overall, what were your thoughts on the Giants draft class? They filled their three biggest needs with three players that they drafted at good values. Um, and I think that that warrants an A. I gave them an A. They were my sixth favorite draft of the entire NFL. It's really frustrating that the Giants have a competent organization now. It was nice the when they had Dave Gettleman for years, but it seems like Joe Sheen is doing a really, really good job there. Um, Jalen Hyatt, definitely my favorite pick of the draft. It, it's a little disappointing to me as a Jalen Hyatt fan that he went to a team with Daniel Jones as the quarterback instead of a team like with Justin Herbert or, you know, Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes or someone that's good at football. Um, that that would have been nice to see because now I feel like he's definitely not going to live up to his full potential in that offense with, Dan with Daniel Jones. But Dable should find creative ways to use him. The only problem is they have like seven receivers. Um, so I have no idea who's even going to play for the Giants necessarily on a weekly basis, but their three biggest needs were a speedy receiver. Uh, they needed a corner really bad. They went and got Deontay Banks, who has excellent upside due to his athleticism. Even if he was, I probably had him a little bit too low in the 30s, um, but he went at 24. I had no problem with the pick whatsoever at the time. And John Michael Schmitz, I had him at 52. I think I was lowest on him, but he went at 57. So therefore, I think he's a pretty good value. He was uh, definitely the best center on the board when they made the pick and they needed a center. So um, I think that's a rock solid pick who will slot right in and be a, you know, an impact starter right away. Whether I think he's going to be, I don't think he's ever going to be a top five to seven center in the NFL, but I think he probably will be a top 20 center this year. And the Giants needed that. So um, I think those top three picks carry the day. Yeah, I'm going to need you to stop trying to give Patrick Mahomes more weapons to work with here. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. Send Jalen Hyatt anywhere but Kansas City. I would rather him rot in New York than go to Kansas City. But that's fair. Uh, yeah, I I thought the Giants had a great, which I guess, by the way, did we all give the Eagles an A plus? I didn't even ask for the letter grades. Yes. But yeah, so we all gave the Eagles an A plus. I, I also gave the Giants an A plus. I thought they killed the draft. Um, I loved each of their top three picks. I thought they were all great values. Deontay Banks is a perfect fit for the Wink Martindale defense. Like you said, three great picks that hit their three biggest areas of need. It's nice when good players at the positions you need fall to you. Um, and, you know, I walk out of the draft and the only thing that I'm a little, that I wish would have fallen differently for them, and it wasn't likely in this draft class, but is that they have so many tiny slot receivers already. And so they selected Jalen Hyatt. And it's not like, I mean, we knew going in that the majority of the receivers in this draft class were slot body types. But I do wish that they would have been, well, I don't wish, but if I'm a Giants fan, I wish that they would have been able to walk away with a bigger bodied pass catcher, whether that be a tight end or a wide receiver, just to give a little bit more variety. They've got the same archetype all over their receiver room. And I'm not sure that that's the way you want to go. But Jalen Hyatt was such good value there that you, you don't pass that up, especially needing a receiver. So I gave them an A+. Uh, Dives, how would you grade the Giants draft hall? I'm definitely a little bit lower than an A+. I, I think it's probably more so like a B or B-plus uh, range. Again, I agree, guys. Deontay Banks, John Michael Schmidt, Jalen Hyatt are all three very good prospects. Eric Gray is another good one. Uh, more of an elusive back, five foot ten. Uh, guy that can make guys miss, change of direction uh, kind of dude. He's not going to be a three-down starter with his size and stuff, but really impressive um, start-stop ability, uh, fluidity. 
He didn't make my top 10 running backs in this draft. Uh, but, you know, to get him in round five, very good value. I'm not going to talk on Deontay Banks. By the way, you win, Shane. Uh, you called him a first-round pick. We were playing a game of which defensive back uh, would make it in the first round. I was a little bit lower on Deontay, uh, but you win, Shane. Uh, and John Michael Schmitz, that's my guy. Uh, he was one of my favorite prospects in this draft. Um, happy to see him go to the New York Giants. I'll probably get flamed for that. Uh, but I think that's a really good fit for him uh, because he's super NFL ready. Uh, and I, I think he's got Pro Bowl upside. I had a, I, Did I have a top 20 grade on him? Uh, it, I might have I been. think you did, yeah. I can I can check here when we go. So Mark's just like thinking, said, yes. Thinking back to like the Giants draft of 2022, I loved Thibodeau. I loved Evan Neal. But the rest of the draft was kind of meh. You know, you look at this Giants draft, rounds one through five, it's really solid. Uh, I'll give it a B plus. All right, and you had John Michael Schmidt 17th on your board. Love him, man. I, I think that dude is really good. All right, let's pivot to the Washington Commanders draft class. In the first round, they selected cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. Second round, safety Jatavius Martin. In the third round, they took offensive lineman Ricky Stromberg. In the fourth round, offensive lineman Braden Daniels. In the fifth round, defensive end K.J. Henry. In the sixth round, running back Chris Rodriguez. And in the seventh round, defensive end Andre Jones. Uh, Mark, I'll throw it to you again first here. What did you think overall of the commander's draft? How would you grade it? Uh, the floor is yours. Tell, tell me what you thought. Yeah, I hated most of the draft here. It was my third... <laughs> It was my third least favorite draft in the NFL. Um, I gave them a D minus. Um, and by the way, it's kind of funny. Like I think their best pick of the, of their entire draft was their first pick with Emmanuel Forbes. Um, and I think a lot of people would look at that and say that that's a reach. Um, and I, even me, he went 16 overall. I don't have our rankings right in front of me. He would have been right around that. He would have been like 17 for me, something like that. So in terms of it was value, 19 for you. Yeah. So even still, I, and I was by far the highest on him among us three. Um, even still, there has been reports, I will say, that have made me feel a little better about that pick, where they made that pick. Apparently, the Patriots really, really liked Forbes, and we're probably going to take him over Gonzalez at 17, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then, apparently, the Ravens were obsessed with Forbes and may have even moved up for Forbes. Um, so for the people out there who thought Washington may have reached there or maybe you should move back and get Forbes, um, Maybe the NFL was a little higher on Forbes than we think. Maybe the NFL is a little bit less worried about size at the corner position than we think. We thought Christian Gonzalez would be a guy who went in the top eight to 10 picks because of the traits, because of the size, because of the things that he brought. Yet he ended up going behind Emmanuel Forbes, who was 160 pounds soaking wet. So um, it, it's interesting to see Washington and it's interesting to see teams like New England and Baltimore apparently were very interested in a an anomaly in terms of the cornerback position in his weight. So I love Emmanuel Forbes. I think he's going to be better than people think. I think he's going to be a playmaker and a guy who's pretty annoying for us to deal with for Washington. Other than that, I hate every single pick that they made, especially the next one um, in the second round, Jartavius Martin. You could have picked about eight better DBs in that spot. You could have picked about, you know, five better safeties in that spot. You picked the wrong safety from Illinois 
in that spot, in my opinion. So um, I, I don't understand that pick. Apparently, he needs to start right away as well. Um, and, and then also the next pick that they make, Rick, Ricky Stromberg, apparently he needs to start right away. And apparently Braden, Tan- Braden Daniel is going to be the backup at both tackle positions. Like, I don't know, man. I think this team might bottom out this year. Like, I think we're talking about like a four or five win team. Yeah, I, I also hated the commander's draft. I gave it a D plus. I thought they botched the secondary. Like you said, they should have picked. I, I thought they should have picked Christian Gonzalez. I thought that's a no brainer at 16. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, at 47, like I respect that they needed to invest in the secondary. They just took the wrong defensive backs. And uh, they had one, they took one player that was in my top 100, and it was Emmanuel Forbes, who I thought they dramatically reached on. So I thought it was a pretty poor draft for the commanders overall dives. What did you think about their draft? But real quick, they should have taken Joey Porter jr. Over in my opinion, cause I had a yeah. TV one, but I, I would have rather had Joey Porter jr. There. Yeah. Uh, it's a collection of guys. I really like, I'm not saying that they shouldn't been drafted where they are uh, or should have been, uh, but there are prospects that I've been covering pretty heavily uh, throughout the draft process. Uh, you look at Ricky Stromberg. Uh, I think he's definitely an underrated prospect. Um, he's played a hundred plus snaps at each interior position, uh, you know, since 2019, uh, as a center, he's big, he's strong, he's mobile, uh, he's smart. Uh, he's, he gave up zero sacks in 2022 and just seven hurries. Um, he doesn't have good arm length. He doesn't have good short area agility. Uh, but I had a day two grade on him. Um, I, I think we're selling him short just a little bit. Do you think um, he can start right away? No. <laughs> that's different that's a different yeah, topic yeah um but i i do think he's a solid prospect um brayden daniels uh when i made my like top most underrated uh prospects in the draft brayden daniels was my number four prospect on that video by the way moro ojomo was number two um and we're when we're talking about day three guys uh daniels is you know just 300 pounds but very explosive uh, high football IQ. Uh, he, he's a, a solid, versatile offensive lineman that I think has really good upside. And, and then, you know, KJ Henry, Chris Rodriguez Jr., uh, those are two guys that, you know, I, I think are definitely underrated as well. Uh, so I'll, I'll give this a solid C. Plus. Um, and I, Jartavis Martin, uh, he is a guy, according to Mark Schofield, is the most underrated defensive back in this draft uh super athlete you know we call kind of there's a lot of defensive backs in this draft that we rave about their athleticism and things like that with lack of production you know well how about why not jartavis martin uh so uh i'll give it a c plus all right and that brings us to the last draft in the division it's the dallas cowboys who in the first round selected mozzie smith defensive tackle in the second round tight end luke schoonmaker uh, both out of the University of Michigan. I think they saw the praise Howie got for going for Georgia, and they're like, hey, what if we drafted uh, a whole bunch of players from the same team that's just not any good? So oh, that's man. another way you could go. Uh, they took linebacker DeMarvin Overshone in the third round. Uh, and a bunch of other guys that don't even matter. Deuce Vaughn in the sixth round. Uh, you can look up their draft their drafted <laughs> list if you want to read it all. But uh, I reserve the right to lead us off on the Cowboys because I was on a roll on Twitter. Um, so in the first round, they drafted a defensive tackle that averaged 0.016 sacks per game in his collegiate career. And you say he's a run stuffer. 
And he, I tell you, he averaged 0.2 tackles for loss per game in his collegiate career. In the second round, they took Luke Schoonmaker, a tight end who has one season with over 175 receiving yards and is six weeks younger than Jalen Hurts. Uh, and it's just all downhill from here. I thought the Cowboys had a terrible draft. Um, and, and it's picture-perfect reason why you don't walk into the draft with a glaring hole that has to be filled. Like, they had to take a defensive tackle and a tight end. Like, they had to. Those were their two biggest holes. And when the Bills le- leaped them for Dalton Kincaid, I think they panicked and they reached for Mozzie Smith. The guy had a third-round grade on and then they were pigeonholed into tight end in the second round, and they took Luke Schoonmaker, which I also thought was a big reach. So uh, I, I thought the Cowboys draft was really bad, and it's more fun to make fun of than the Commanders draft. I think the Commanders draft was still worse. I gave the Cowboys a C-minus grade, uh, but overall I thought it was a pretty disastrous draft for the Cowboys. Uh, Dives, what did you think? It was terrible. Holy cow. It, it is so bad. Um Mozzie Smith, man, he's a run defender. Uh, he's going to add depth to their defensive line. But in round one, he's that's a massive mistake. Luke Schoonmaker was a huge reach. Um, this is a guy that I think the Cowboys just fell in love with at the combine. Uh, he, he his his combine scores were outstanding. Uh, 9.75 RES score uh, that ranked 26 among over a thousand ranked. Tight ends between 1987 and 2023, six foot seven, uh, a guy that is a special teams core player, uh, core special team player, a guy that is a good uh, run blocker. Um, yeah, so I, I just don't see it, uh, especially at one of the deepest tight end drafts of all time. Scoomaker was not it, man, especially in round two. DeMarvian Overshone is an athlete, a guy that has real upside. Uh, but has major question marks. The guy that I really am interested in is Viliami Fajoko Jr. Uh, here out of San Jose State. Uh, he's a guy that I had a day three grade on, um, and I'm really interested in actually. Uh, six foot five, uh, six two hundred sixty three pounds. Uh, he had the more fourth most pressures in the country last season. Uh, some of the best play strength in the class. Uh, over the last three years, he's been one of the most dominant defensive linemen. Uh, really good athlete, complete physical skill set. Uh, I think he's one of the underrated uh, defensive linemen in this draft. So that's actually my favorite pick from the Dallas Cowboys. And he went round four, which might have been a little bit of a reach, but uh, terrible draft. I give it a D. All right, Mark, lay it on me. Your thoughts about the Cowboys disastrous draft class. F minus. Um, <laughs> it was my second least favorite draft uh, of the entire draft. They did not get one top 100 prospect for me. Um, to, just to give you a little bit of an idea of how low I was on Mozzie Smith. Um, I, I don't think that Mozzie Smith is ever going to be an NFL pass rusher at any level whatsoever. Um, <laughs> so you're talking about a guy who is strictly a run stuffer. And like Shane said, we don't even know how good he is at that. So we're talking about four guys who I had. It's funny. They didn't get any of my top 100 guys, but they got four guys who are ranked between 100 and 115 for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. Smith, Shoemaker, Overshone, and Fajoko all clocked in between 101 and 115. Um, So I guess I'll say I like the Overshone and Fajoko picks. Like, they're fine. 
Um, even though Overshone went 90 and I had him 105 or whatever, something in that mix. The Luke Shoemaker one is actually the one I hate the most, even though Mozzie's taking a taking a guy outside of my top 100 in the first round is technically the worst pick. But there were so many tight ends in this class, and you took one with like no upside, in my opinion, in Luke Shoemaker. For a team who's trying to compete right now and needed a tight end who could play a role in that offense right now after losing Dalton Schultz, there were so many better options. I don't understand taking Shoemaker there. And everyone wants to cry and go nuts about their, you know, the father of scouting, whatever, <laughs> Mr. Vaughn. He, you drafted your son, dude. This isn't like the Langhorn Athletic Association. You're supposed to be running an NFL team. You shouldn't draft your 5'3 son because it's a fun story. Sorry. He's a Nepo baby. It's nepotism at its finest there. According to Skip Bayless, like he's like the difference maker between – uh, the Cowboys being a better team than the Eagles in 2023. Go check. Deuce fun. Deuce fun. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, uh, I mapped out the average relative athletic score of all the draft picks <laughs> uh, that went in the draft. So I put this out on Twitter. Uh, you guys can go check it out. If you're listening on the audio version of the podcast, it's on the screen here. If you're on YouTube, uh, just to give you an idea of where teams fell in terms of athleticism. And, you know, there's, the Jets are number one and Zach Kuntz with the 10.0 relative athletic score. Anthony Richardson with the 10.0 for Indianapolis makes them number two. So there's some there's some problems with just using an average, but it gives you a nice snapshot. Overall, the Eagles ranked sixth in terms of average RAS score. Washington was seventh. The Giants were 19th and Dallas was 30th. So uh, just some fun stuff I charted out there. You guys can go check that out. Uh, if you want to, if you want to dig into it a little more. So that is going to about wrap it up here for us, for the BGN draft show. I won't tell you that we will be back next week. I'll tell you that we will be back next year uh, to cover the draft for you guys. It truly has been a pleasure to guide you guys through draft season. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed these shows. If you do, if you did, uh, please leave us five-star ratings and reviews. Shout out the draft show in your comments uh, for the iTunes reviews that uh, really helps us out, makes us feel good. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the content as much as we did putting it together and bringing it to you each and every week. So uh, one last time before we get out of here, Dives, I'm going to throw it to you. Any final thoughts? Tell the people where they can find you. Plug your content that you've got coming on. The floor is yours. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Crockpot. Uh, I do a, a silly podcast called Party on Broad, where it's mostly NFL draft, NBA drafts, uh, Eagles and Sixers content. Uh, I've, if you're watching this, you know, first week of May, I'm already lining up uh, 2024 NFL draft content, uh, position rankings, big boards, you name it. So it's already in the works. Uh, by the way, the 2024, we say this every year. Uh, I feel like, but the 2024 NFL draft is going to be really fun as well. Complete opposite of 2023 when you're talking offensive players, skill position guys on offense. So that's going to be really fun. Uh, but man, it's been a blast. Uh, it's kind of sad to see this one ending, uh, but you know, the, the show continues and I can't wait for 2024. All right. And Mark, oh, same thing for you. Tell the people where they can find you, plug your content, and any final words you want to leave here. Yeah, you can find me at Mark Henry Jr. underscore on Twitter. You can check out the Tough Cover Radio Show every Saturday, 11 to 1, on Fox Sports PHL The Gambler. 
Uh, go follow that at Fox PHL Gambler. I've been doing these Sixer streams with Trillbro Dude uh, on his playback. So check out my Twitter to see when I'm retweeting that. Those have been really fun. We have intelligent conversation for three and a half quarters. And then when the end of the game is close, it just devolves <laughs> into me cursing and yelling my face off. So if you want to go check that out, that's always fun. Uh, but my final thoughts. I have talked myself into this being a good draft, even though we spent all of these position previews talking about it not being one. But by the time it came around, it was pretty mainstream exciting. There were a lot of big moves that happened. There were four quarterbacks in the mix, Hooker even a little bit in the mix, even though not necessarily on draft day. Bijan, a big-name running back, a deep tight end class, a bunch of receivers went off the board right in a row in the first round. It ended up being splashy. It ended up being a bit more fun than I think we anticipated at the beginning of the process. And maybe that's just me talking myself into guys that I had to talk about a lot for a couple months. But I do think that we're going to look back and think, ah, maybe we were a bit too negative on this draft going into it. Maybe there are really a lot of good players coming out of it. Yeah, I have a take. Uh, every year, everybody always says, next year's draft is better. And then by the time we get to next year's draft and people have actually watched the tape on those people and yep. found the flaws, then we start saying, uh, this draft class, it's just, it's not very good, but next year's class is better. And it's a cycle that I've seen repeat itself time and time and time and time again. Now there's definitely strengths and weaknesses at positions in drafts. And, you know, generally there can be a little bit of up and down drafts, but I think we take that hyperbole a little far sometimes. I'm going on on record right now. Yes, the defensive end position in 2023 is better than 2024, but you're going to see a deeper defensive back class in 2024. You're going to obviously have uh, more elite talent at tight end, wide receiver. Um, safety is really strong this year, I think. And what am I missing? Offensive line, the top notch talent at offensive line in 2024 is going to be really fun. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, just to kind of pump up 2024. Uh, I'm right there with you, Shane. I'm right there with you. Who knows what I'm saying at this point next year? Yeah. Somebody clip that out and sit on it for a year and come back to us when it's about draft weekend next year. And we've been talking about these positions. We'll see. We'll see how spot on dives was. So thank you guys for joining us for all of these BGN draft shows. I hope you enjoyed them. I'm going to sign off with a different uh, ending tonight than usual, but I think it's very appropriate. We're going to sign off with a go Bulldogs.